I want to tell you about a time my family and I were walking through Coles together, and all of a sudden something catches my eye. It is the most awesome, the coolest toy imaginable to a child. It's a pair of walkie-talkies. But they're not just ordinary walkie-talkies. These are Buzz Lightyear walkie-talkies. So they've got an added element of coolness to them. And so like every child who can't afford to buy things that they want for themselves, as I looked at my parents, they slowly began to look a little bit more like ATM machines. And I asked them, can you buy me these walkie-talkies? And of course, my dad replied, he said, you don't need those, Christopher. You'll play with them for five minutes and you'll forget all about them. No, no, Dad, really, I won't. If you get these for me, I won't ever forget about them. And, you know, I'll, I'll use them all the time. It'll be worth, it'll be worth the purchase. And again, my dad said, look, you really don't need them. You, they're useless to you. And so I made a promise to my dad. I thought, this will get him. I'll, I'll catch him. I said, Dad, if you get me this toy, I will never, never ask you for anything ever again. I'll never ask for any other toy if you get me this one. Now, I was probably five at the time. Little did I know I had many years ahead of me in which I'd be asking for several more toys, at least for birthdays and Christmas at the very least. But I was, I thought at the time I was being very sincere. I will never ask you for anything ever again. Well, of course, my dad knew that this was a useless promise. He knew I would never be able to uphold this promise that I'd made to him. But he decided to buy the walkie-talkies for me anyway. And I would like to say I have kept half of the promise. He said I would forget about them after five minutes. Well, I still remember them, so I kept that part of the promise. But of course, like everything else that you buy that's cheap and disposable, they were used for a little while and then thrown away. But as I was reflecting on this, it got me thinking that my dad decided to follow through. He decided to get me what I asked for, despite the fact that I'd made a promise he knew for certain I could not keep. He knew 100% that five-year-old Christopher was incapable of keeping this promise I'd made to him. And yet, in spite of my failure to uphold the promise, he still decided to do this nice thing for me. Now, it's a good example of the naivety that children have. But as adults, we're equally as susceptible to breaking our promises or failing to uphold agreements that we've made. It might be because of laziness or forgetfulness, or maybe we just had no intention to fulfill this agreement whatsoever. But whatever it is, there seems to be this ongoing pattern of behavior in humans where we struggle to be faithful or loyal to the promises that we make. And this inability to uphold promises or agreements is a common theme throughout the Bible, particularly because while humans are incapable of fulfilling their promises, God is perfectly able to. In fact, God often fulfills his promises in spite of human failure. And to trace this theme, I want to look at three short stories this morning. And each time we go through one story, we'll go through the next quicker because they're all very similar. And you'll pick up the pattern very quickly. And each story is going to show us a beautiful picture of the faithfulness and loyalty of God. So our first story is in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be looking at 
Abraham and his family. And at the very beginning of chapter 12, God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to choose you to be a special people. I'm going to make a covenant with you and your family. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to protect and look after you. You're going to be my special people. And so God says, Abraham, in order for this to happen, you need to move from where you're living now and go to a land I have prepared for you. And Abraham is obedient. He packs up his things and he moves. But right after that, we have a story immediately followed up where Abraham disobeys God and where he has a lack of faith. Genesis 12 verse 10, it says, Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram, he is Abram at this time, went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it might be well for your sake and that I might live. So already Abraham is demonstrating a lack of faith in God. He, he, he lacks faith that God will protect and provide for he and his family. Now remember, God made a covenant with Abraham saying that he would be a mighty nation. Now in order to do that, you need descendants. Abraham does not have any descendants yet. He has no children. So God's not going to let anything bad happen to Abraham, or at least God's not going to allow Abraham to be killed before he can have any descendants and he can become a mighty nation. Abraham's safety was not in question, and yet he doubts that God is going to uphold his end of the covenant promise. So rather than trusting God to fulfill his covenant, Abraham decides he's going to help God out. Maybe he can do his part to ensure their safety. And he takes matters into his own hands and devises a plan. He thinks, wow, if uh, the Egyptian men, they want Sarai as their wife, they'll just kill me. So he says, how about we devise a plan? I'm not your wife. When we're in Egypt, I'm not your wife. Just say you're my sister. We're, you know, we're just related to another, but we're not husband and wife. And you'll notice this plan works out pretty well for Abraham. Abraham, he's safe. But it puts Sarai in actually a very dangerous position where any of these Egyptian men who would want to take her as a wife can do so because she's not married. So really, Abraham's being a little bit selfish as well here. The plan works well for him, but actually puts Sarai in a great level of danger. And Abraham is also, he's telling, we could say, a half-truth. Sarai was his half-sister. So technically, in saying, oh, she's my sister, he was telling a half-truth. But this half-truth was really a full lie. Abraham was not trying to be honest. He was trying to be deceptive. He was trying to obscure things and keep things secret. So in order to try and make up for the fact that he did not think God would protect him, he decides to lie instead. He covers it up with a sin. And we see that Abraham's choice actually puts Sarai in danger. Verse 14, so, what, so it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. 
and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. So Abram's plan actually backfires. Sarai gets taken away. Because she's not married to anyone, the Pharaoh thinks, oh, perfect, I'll take her to be my wife. And now we're not told how long Sarai is in the court of Pharaoh for, but long enough for the Pharaoh to give gifts to Abram. He gives sheep and oxen and donkeys and camels. Long enough that Pharaoh can exchange some gifts to Abram uh, as in, in a appreciation or gratitude. Imagine Abram's guilt, though, as he's receiving these gifts from the Pharaoh. Here, take some sheep, take some camels, take some servants. And the only reason he's getting it is because his wife is in the court of the Pharaoh, soon to be the Pharaoh's wife. He's really put himself in a difficult situation here. Verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai. Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. What was Abraham's concern again? God would not protect he and his family, that their safety was somehow under threat. But we see that as soon as Sarai was put in a, in a, a, a situation of difficulty, God came in and protected them. God sent a plague into the house of the Pharaoh in Egypt to protect Sarai. And notice God is doing this even after Abraham and Sarai have disobeyed him. So even in their disobedience, God is still protecting them. So God is justifying himself here. Abraham had no reason to be concerned for his safety. Even when he was being disobedient, God still protected him and Sarai. God went above and beyond the covenant agreement that he had with Abraham. And notice Abraham's sin, Abraham's lie, almost caused another man to commit another sin. He almost caused the Pharaoh to commit adultery. And it did eventually bring a plague on the Pharaoh's household. So Abraham's actions had consequences that negatively impacted other people because he chose to lie rather than have trust in God. And this event really should have confirmed for Abraham, God will take care of me and my family. If we are his covenant people, God will uphold the promises that he has made to us. And yet this isn't the last time Abraham makes the exact same mistake. Turn to Genesis chapter 20, our second story this morning. And Abraham finds himself in the exact same situation, in the exact same set of circumstances, and he makes the exact same mistake. Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 and 2 say, Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Remember the name Gerar. That'll appear again. So he's staying in Gerar. Now, Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
So he's done the exact same thing again. He's gone to a new area, and again, he's afraid that he's going to be killed so that someone else can take Sarah as uh, their wife. But he's already seen that God won't allow that to happen. If you have a look at Genesis 21, you may have a subheading there that says, Isaac is born. So Isaac still hadn't been born yet. The promised descendant had not yet been born. God is not going to allow Abraham to be killed before he has offspring. So that Isaac has not come around, the firstborn of Abraham. He's not yet alive. God's going to protect Abraham from any threats. And he's already seen that God will do that. And yet he still says, oh, she's my sister, not my wife. He tells the same half-truth, full lie that he did in Egypt. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech, that's the king of Gerar, in a dream by night and said to him, indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is another man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Didn't Abraham say to me, she is my sister? And even she herself said, he's my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants and told all of these things in their hearing. And the, the men were very much afraid. So looking at verse three again, we see Abraham's lie, Abraham's sin, almost caused another man to commit another sin, almost caused Abimelech to commit adultery. And God actually says that should Abimelech have committed adultery, if he had touched Sarah in any inappropriate way, he would have been a dead man. That would have been his punishment. Abraham nearly caused someone their life. If Abimelech had touched Sarah... He would have been a dead man. All because Abraham did not have enough faith in God to protect him. And I really love in verse 4 and 6 here, God is a very fair judge. When Abimelech says, hey, look, I, I, I was doing this with a clear conscience. I, I was told that they were brother and sister, not husband and wife. God actually says, I know your heart. I've looked at your heart and I know that you did this. Uh, in the integrity of your heart and with innocence. And I love that God actually says, because I know you did this with a clear conscience, you didn't have all the information. Abraham and Sarah lied to you. Because of that, I actually withheld you from committing that sin. God actually intervened in the life of Abimelech and prevented him from committing adultery. So once again, God is going above and beyond what's expected of him in the covenant agreement. God shows grace to this king by preventing him from sinning. So God is even faithful to Abimelech in this story. He's being faithful to Abraham, being faithful to Sarah. He's again protected Sarah. And he's also being faithful to this king by giving him, by intervening and not allowing him to sin. 
So how does the story conclude? Verse 9, Abimelech called Abram and said to him, what have you done to us? Very similar to what the Pharaoh said in Egypt. What is this that you've done to me? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in mind that you would do such a thing? And Abraham said, well, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. Again, he's afraid that he's going to be killed, but we know that God would not have allowed that to happen. Verse 12, indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So he tries to explain it. Well, she is my sister. She's my half sister. So, but that's not going to hold up. This half truth is a full lie. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. That's a very, very interesting passage. Abraham says to Sarah, look, let's make a pact together. Wherever we go, wherever we go, it says, say about me, he is my brother. So they had made a premeditated decision that this was going to be their action plan wherever they, whenever they went to a foreign land. They actually had come together to create this plan in direct disobedience to God. They created a plan to perpetrate this lie wherever they went. So this was repeated ongoing pattern of sinful behavior. Verse 14. So Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everyone. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. And then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So we see again a plague or... Uh, some sort of misfortune came upon this royal house because Sarai had been uh, unlawfully taken in there to be the wife of the king. So God again protected Sarah. He protected her from anything bad happening. And this is in spite of the fact that God knows that Abraham and Sarah have come up with this plan that wherever they go, they're going to stick with the brother-sister lie. And yet God is still protecting them. God is still intervening to make sure that they are kept safe. God is still faithful to his covenant in spite of their disobedience, in spite of their sin, and in spite of their unfaithfulness. God continues to uphold his covenant promises, even when Abraham and Sarah do not. So the third and final story. By now you should figure out this ongoing pattern. It's in Genesis 26. And this time it's not actually with Abraham and Sarah. It's with Abraham's son, Isaac, and his wife, Rebecca. 
So it's still in the same family. This is the next generation after Abraham. And Isaac had not yet been born when these other two stories took place. But no doubt Abraham and Sarah would have told them about these times that God protected them, intervened in their life to make sure that they were kept safe. So Isaac would have been aware of these stories. And yet he's going to make the exact same mistake. Genesis 26, 1 and 2. There was a famine in the land. Does that sound familiar? The first time Abraham and Sarai got caught up in this mess, they, there was a famine in the land and they went to Egypt. So again, we're in the same set of circumstances. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now Abimelech, probably this isn't the same Abimelech that we read about earlier. It's probably the next king that took over after him. But it's the same king with the same title, and it's in the same area, Gerar. So our last story was in Gerar. So we've got a famine in the land that's driving them to Gerar. So there are so many parallels and similarities between these stories. Then the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. And we're going to skip the next few verses. We'll come back to them. But we'll skip to verse 6, where it says, So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, She is my sister. It's getting pretty predictable, isn't it? She's my sister. For he was afraid to say, She is my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Exact same thing that Abraham thought. Oh, if I tell them that she's my wife, they'll kill me and that'll be the end. But God's not finished with Isaac and the family of Abraham. They still need to become a mighty nation. God was not going to let Isaac be killed by the people in Gerar. 8 through 12. It came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and he saw... There was Isaac showing endearment or caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? Again, same language used by all of the Pharaoh and the previous king of Gerar. They all say, What have you done to us? What did we ever do to deserve this? Why did you lie to us? What is this you have done to us? One of the people might have soon lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him. Uh, Even I love the fact that at the ending of this story, a story of Isaac's disobedience to God, we're told God blessed Isaac. God still blessed Isaac in spite of the fact he made the same mistake that his father had already made twice. If I were in God's position, I'd be pretty over this repeated pattern of behavior. They can't keep their covenant promises. And every time they're in this situation... They tell the same lie. Oh, she's my sister. She's not my wife. Because they lack faith that God 
will protect and provide for them. In spite of their failure to uphold the covenant, God upholds his promises in the covenant. To finish, let's read those first few verses in Genesis 26 that we skipped over. This is where we're going to finish. God's speaking to Isaac again. He tells him, don't live in Egypt, live in the land which I shall uh, tell you. And in verse 3, he says, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Now, keep in mind, right after God audibly speaks to Isaac, the very next story is the one we just read, where Isaac immediately goes and disobeys God. And yet God affirms this promise to Isaac, knowing he's about to go and commit this sin. But what I find so interesting is not only does God reaffirm the covenant he made with Abraham to Isaac now, but verse 6 baffles me. I'm going to keep the covenant, God says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes and my laws. We've just looked at two examples of Abraham doing the exact opposite of that. Times where he was in direct disobedience to God, where he lacked faith that God would be able to look after him. And yet God says, I'm going to keep this covenant because Abraham obeyed me how is this possible how is it that abraham we have examples of abraham directly disobeying god and yet god says i'll keep the covenant because abraham obeyed me i think we find the answer in genesis fifteen six, which says abraham believed in the lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness abraham believed in the lord and god accounted it to him for righteousness. Because of Abraham's faith in God, he was credited as being righteous. But what whose righteousness was this? Was it Abraham's righteousness? We know that would have been imperfect. Abraham was not able to perfectly be righteous. The righteousness credited to Abraham was the righteousness of Jesus. When God looked at the life of Abraham, he no longer saw Abraham's acts of disobedience. Only the perfect obedience of Jesus. Abraham's sins were no longer seen in the eyes of God. Instead, Abraham had Jesus acting as his advocate and representative before God. So again, we ask the question, how faithful is God really? God is not only upholding all the promises that he made in his covenant, but he's done everything so that Abraham... In, in the eyes of God, can be seen as upholding his covenant promises, as being obedient. God's so loving and merciful, he enters into a covenant that he knows he's going to help, have to help Abraham with. He knows Abraham is not going to be able to perfectly keep this covenant. And yet he still goes into it knowing that he'll need to give Abraham that help. And that help is no small thing either. That help had to come through the death of Jesus. That was the cost that it would take in order for God to look at Abraham and say, Abraham kept his part of the covenant. 
because Christ's righteousness was given to him. And we might think, was Abraham really worth it for God to die on the cross? Was it really worth it? Was Abraham all that, that Jesus would have to die on the cross to save him? Well, we know that Christ would have died for even just one of us, but the cross is less to do with how important or how good we are and more to do with how loving and gracious God is. That God would give up so much in order to rescue Abraham. Remember, Abraham and Isaac's fear was that God would not be faithful in his promise and that God would not provide for them. But God was not only faithful to his part of the covenant, he was faithful in upholding Abraham and Isaac's part of the covenant. Not only did God provide for them in physical safety and prosperity, but he provided for them most importantly, eternally, by securing them righteousness that he could credit to them. So as we reflect on these three stories, we've picked up an ongoing theme, an ongoing pattern, which is, Humans have this inability to keep their promises. And yet, in spite of human failure and in spite of human unfaithfulness, God is still faithful. Like Abraham, we're also in a covenant with God. God's made a covenant with us. We're part of the new covenant. And like he did for Abraham, God has also said there are certain promises and blessings that come in this new covenant. He's promised to credit the righteousness of Christ to us. He's promised to give us eternal life and that those who die in him will be raised back to life. He's promised that he'll give us a new heart and write his laws on our hearts. He's promised to seal us with the Holy Spirit. He's promised to sanctify and transform us into the image of Christ. So the question is, do we believe that God will uphold these promises that he's made to us? Sometimes we fall into the same trap Abraham did where we think, well, maybe God could use some help here. Maybe I can help out God to keep up his end of the bargain. And sometimes we slip into attitudes where we think, well, as much as God has done all this for me and he's worked to achieve my salvation, can't I contribute just a little bit to it? Can't I just throw in a few of my good works just for good measure to secure my salvation? Won't that be enough? Is there any harm in that? We try and help God out, even though he's already done everything for us. Sometimes we're we're just completely inactive. We just simply don't trust that God is able to uphold the covenant. Sometimes when we're finding ourselves deep or trapped in sin, and even if we have sincere remorse for our sin and we want to repent to God, sometimes we think, well, I think this might be a bit too much for God to forgive. I know in the New Covenant it says God will forgive us when we come with a sincere repentance. And I feel sincere remorse for my sin, but I don't know. This might just be too tough for God. I'm not sure if he can uphold this promise that he's made to me in this covenant. We somehow get into this mindset that perhaps we can outsin the grace of God. And that this time God's not going to forgive us. I want to remind us again that God was faithful to Abraham and Isaac in spite of their sin. God is equally going to be faithful to you even when we are not 
faithful to him. And of course, it's never going to be our desire to to willfully sin. We cannot have an attitude of, oh, well, I'm not going to stop sinning because God will just keep forgiving. A renewed heart will not want to break the heart of God. But should we sin, we know we have the promise. If we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just as God was faithful to Abraham, to Isaac, to Sarah and to Rebecca, he is going to be faithful to you. And if we give our lives to him, he's going to say the same thing that he said of Abraham. Because you obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments and my statutes and my laws, I will keep this covenant with you. Not because you or I have kept them perfectly, but because Jesus has done it for us. This week, I've been really reflecting on how God has saved me. And I've shared with you before my testimony, and the more I think about everything that God has done for me, the more I'm impressed by his love. The more I think, why did God even bother doing that? Why did God take the effort to rescue and to save me? I think about the fact that God called me to to do ministry for him. While, like Abraham and Sarah, I was habitually had this pattern of sin where I was repeatedly disobeying God, and yet he still wanted to call me. He still wanted to save me. And as I thought about that, I thought, what more can I ask from God? If God saved me, he secured my eternity, what more can I actually ask from him? What more is there to ask? And that question just played on my head and repeat. What more could I ask from God if he's already given me salvation? That's the most important thing. And then as I thought about that, I thought, well, hang on. God has given me so many other blessings in my life. Blessings which he's not obligated to give me. There are many things that on a daily basis I take for granted. Blessings that God's given to me that he is not obligated to give. He's given me a good home to grow up in. Blessed me with education. Provided a job and a home. All these things I, I could have gone without. It would have been difficult. But God was not obligated to give any of those things to me. And yet he still did. And the more I thought about that, the more I realized that once again, God had gone above and beyond what he had to do. He'd gone above what he promised in his covenant blessings to me. And yet so often... I take for granted all of these additional blessings that God gives in in addition to the most important one, which is saving us for eternity. My question is, has God done the same for you? Has he gone above and beyond and given you more blessings than you deserve? I think probably each of us would have to say yes. We'd look at our lives and go, God has given me so much more than I need. And that should go to show us the faithfulness of who God is. I hope we can learn from the the mistakes of Abraham and Isaac. Their problem was a lack of faith that God would be faithful to them. And yet in every instance where they thought they'd be in trouble, God rescued them, protected them, saved them, upheld his covenant. We've got no reason to doubt that God is not with us when we go through any trying circumstance or trial or suffering. God is faithful above and beyond what we can comprehend. 
And he's faithful in spite of our failures. And he is faithful to solve our problems. So what more can you ask for? What more can we really ask for from God? What could we possibly need from God? A God so faithful to you and me. What do we have to fear when we worship a God so faithful? Absolutely nothing.